Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. I'm so excited about my message today. Um, I want to start off with a, just a little childhood story. When we were growing up, my parents were, you know, my mom was an immigrant from Italy, and my dad's parents were immigrants from Italy, and then they went through the Great Depression. So they made us eat anything they made. If they made a food, we had to eat it. And there was this one food I just couldn't eat. It was liver. I just could not eat liver. Um, I absolutely hated it. And, and, uh, but my dad would make me, sometimes I'd sit at the table for an hour and a half after everybody left, and I'd have to chew the liver. And, and it was so gross to me. Later when I grew up I, and I studied, I realized... Uh, it's because it's like an oil filter for a car. I mean, it just, it filters your blood and it's full of toxins. That's why I hated it, but I didn't know that back then. But he would make me sit there and I, I to this day, hate, hate liver. And when I shoot guns, sometimes I want to hang a piece of liver up there and just shoot liver. Now, I want you to think about something you hate. It's really real important. Think about something you hate. Uh, it, it could be a food. Like, for instance, my wife hates condiments. She hates mayonnaise, ketchup, and mustard, and I love all three. When we were first married, she wouldn't allow me to put those jars on the table. And I said, I need ketchup for my fries, and bologna is no good without mayonnaise, right? And, and you can't eat a hot dog without mustard, right? So it's like, uh, but she just, she cannot stand those things. I think she ate something spoiled, some spoiled mayonnaise at one time. So keep her in your prayers. Um, <laughs> think about maybe, maybe what you hate is political maybe it's maybe it's a movie maybe i don't know what it is but just think about it for a second do you feel those feelings those are strong feelings when i think of liver it's pretty strong man i still don't like liver and i want to welcome you to the new series here at believers titled what jesus hates about church and you might be here thinking that's an odd title but uh it's actually in the bible and and uh we're not saying and talking about Jesus hates church. Jesus loves church. He created it. It's just there are some things that churches do that he doesn't like. And he actually wrote seven letters in the book of Revelations to seven different churches. And he told them, and one church he literally said, I hate this about what you're doing uh, in your church. And so I thought, what a great title. So uh, I created this series and I brought it to my son, Joe. He's very creative. And I bring things to him. I say, Joe, here's what I want to teach. And I told him what I wanted to do in every lesson. And he goes, Dad, I love the series. But he goes, you got to change the title. He said, it's too negative. And I said, it's not negative. He said, yeah. I said, it's provoking. Pro provoking. It's, gonna, it's going to provoke people. They're going to want to know, hey, if Jesus hates something about church, I want to know what it is. And, and we, I couldn't get him to buy it. So finally I said, okay, I'll run it by your mom. If your mom agrees with you, we'll change the title. If she agrees with me, we keep the title. And uh, so I told Gina, and Gina, her eyes got real big. She said, I love it. It's, it's provoking. She's, I said, that's what I said. And uh, so I told Joe, you lose this time. You lose, buddy. That's the title. That's the title. So it's what Jesus hates about church. And uh, I wanted to get your attention. I want to get other people's attention that are watching and listening. Uh, and I want to make sure people understand there are some things Jesus doesn't like about church. Now, we're going to read seven letters he wrote to seven churches and here's something that's fascinating. These churches were about 40 years old. They were about 40 years old. And what amazes me is some of these churches swayed to the ditch on this side. Some swayed to the ditch on the left. And, 
and, and, and it, it only took 40 years. That's crazy. You know, what, you know what church consultants say today, and they didn't have them back there. Uh, then church consultants say at the 20 to 25-year mark, churches, uh, if they're not careful, they'll sway into a ditch this way or this way, and it just takes 20 to 25 years. So think about 40. Some of these churches had a long time to get really off track, and so Jesus had to rebuke five churches about some things they didn't do the right way. Two churches stayed on track, so that's good news. You can stay on track. Five got, got way off track. He had to correct them. And one of the churches, he didn't even compliment. He complimented six. One, he couldn't even give a compliment to, and that was the church of Laodicea. And that's the one we're going to talk about today. He could not even give them a compliment. And I'm going to show you why he couldn't. And this is going to fascinate us as we open this up. So we're going to be reading in Revelation. Don't uh, become nervous because we're not reading the prophetic part. We're reading the, in, in the first three chapters. That's the part where he's writing to existing churches. And this week, take some time, read chapters 1, 2, and 3. Uh, I don't have time to go over all the verses in chapter 1, but they're awesome. John was put onto this island prison called Patmos, and he's in prison there for his faith. And one day he's just worshiping the Lord, and Jesus appeared to him and said, Hey, I'm going to show you some things that are really far off, but I also want to deal with my churches, and I'm going to write some letters to them. And he saw Jesus in his resurrected glory, which was amazing. So you'll love the description. We're going to just begin in verse 20, so we're going to skip uh, the description. And Revelation 1.20 says this, this is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So this book is full of uh, imagery. It's, it's really pretty awesome imagery. And when he first saw Jesus, he saw him right at the beginning of this chapter, and, and it said, he saw Jesus, and he was walking amongst, and I'm just going to say lamps, because today we call them lamps. He's walking amongst seven lamps. And then he said in his right hand, there were seven stars. And John had no idea what any of that meant. And Jesus is beginning to reveal these symbols. And these symbols are important for the letters we're going to look at, not just today, but some way down the road. And the lamps are the seven churches. That's what he said. So he's showing us an image that he's walking in the midst of, of the seven churches. And, and all he's saying is, man, his presence is in church when we have church. But you know what's fascinating? Uh, the last lesson, lesson four, we're going to look at a church where Jesus said, man, you guys are doing something that's so wrong, I'm about ready to pull your lampstand. And we're, we're going to have fun talking about that one. That's lesson four. So that's four weeks from today. But he also said these stars, he said they're the angels of the churches. And then you'll notice he actually wrote the letters to the angel of the church. Now, angel can mean angelic being. We're all familiar with them. But it can also mean that the literal word literally means messenger or sent one. So all scholars agree. Scholars don't disagree on this one. The, the angels are the pastors of the churches. I think our church has a guardian angel, but Jesus wouldn't write them a letter because they don't speak on the weekend, right? So he, he would write it to me because he wanted the pastor to take it to the church and he wanted the pastor to deal with it. So that's who the angels are. And I love the fact he describes a church as a lamp because aren't we the light, not only of the world, but aren't we the light to our community? And we shine a light when we have service, but we shine a light by all the good and kind deeds we do in our community. So 
Great imagery, all right? Now, here's what I want you to walk out understanding more clearly than ever. I call it my, my point or the big idea, and it goes like this. Jesus wants our hearts, not our heads. And obviously, Jesus wants us to love him with every part of our being, so he wants us to love him with our heads. But I'm using it in a different way. The church we're going to look at today, they only knew Jesus intellectually. They had never met him and accepted him as Savior. And for years, when I would read this letter to the Laodiceans, I would think it was referring to backslidden or uh, Christians, which, which means a Christian that's walked away from the Lord. And then you have the famous verse in verse 20, we'll look at it near the end, where Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, and he says, open the door. Um, and I've always used that for Christians saying, hey, if, if you walked away from the Lord, he wants you to open your heart back up. But I was trying to put this together, and I'm looking at it, and I'm studying it, and I'm trying to put it together. And, and, and I was going that direction, and it was so blah, I thought, I'm going to bore myself to death and put myself to sleep teaching this. And I thought, Lord, I can't, I can't teach it that way. Uh, it's just not working. And I just began to pray and say, show me what, what I'm not seeing. And you know how when you hear something the first time as a Christian, it's impacting. So I heard in Bible school, I heard teachers always teach this like Laodicea was a Christian church that had walked away from the Lord. And in one sense, they had. But then I saw, I, I, God just opened up my eyes to it. And then everything fell in place. And I think you'll agree with me as I go through today. This is a Christian church in name only. The pastor's a Christian that's went way off to the left ditch. And Jesus has to get him back in the center. But this church is full of people that have never met Jesus personally. And do you know what I came to discover when I saw it? Do you know that the number one type of Christian church in America and in the world is what I call, I title this religious churches. They are Christian churches that only know Jesus intellectually, but they haven't met him in here. And this world we live in is full of religious churches. Last night I taught this, and I was in the lobby, and one of our members ran up to me, to, to, uh, and, and his name's Dave. He's from England. He, he married someone here, and he moved here from England and it was his high school sweetheart who they hooked up with later in life after both their mates died. And so he's now here, and he runs up to me. He goes, Pastor Joe, I was in one of those churches in England. He said, they're all over Europe. And I said, I know. And I said, they're all over America, too. It's the most common Christian church in America. So listen, guys, this is good for us because we need to be praying for those churches, for God to sweep in with a revival. We all have friends that go to churches like that. And we need to be praying for them, and we need to be inviting them down the road to come and, and meet Jesus. Now, religious churches have some Christians in them. There are some people that have accepted the Lord in those churches. But it's fascinating. So, again, Jesus wants our hearts, not our head. This made me think of Ben Carson. Most of you know who Ben Carson is. He ran for president uh, as a Republican this last time. And, and uh, he, he's a brilliant neurosurgeon who's retired but he was considered the number one neurosurgeon in the world. And uh, now he's the head of HUD under the Trump presidency. He heads up HUD for Trump. And I think he'll end up doing a pretty decent, really great job, actually. And so um, his story is amazing. He grew up in poverty. He grew up with a father in his early years. But he, he tells the story how his father just didn't seem connected. He wasn't close to him. 
And then when he was eight years old, his mom found out that his father was having an affair. But not only that, he had an entirely another family with another woman. He had two families. And uh, so at that point, Ben realized there's another Ben over there. there there's, another, there's other kids over there. And it just broke his heart. And you know what he noticed? Intellectually, his dad was acknowledging him, but in his heart, he was not his dad's only love. And that broke his heart. It really changed his life, but he worked it out for the good. And that's what's happening with these churches. Jesus wants them connected in their hearts, not just their head, not just talking about them. So that all being said, let's open this up. Let's have some fun. I'm going to teach this a little bit like I would if I were teaching Bible school students, only because we're going verse by verse, but I think I'll make it fun and make it interesting. So Revelations 3, verse 14, it says, Write this letter to the angel or the pastor of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. So last letter... I thought I'd take this one first. Church of Laodicea. And in every letter, he describes himself in a specific way. And he always describes himself at the beginning of the letter in a way that he's going to be dealing with the church on. And I think it's fascinating. He calls himself the beginning of God's new creation. And this is a church that has not yet become a new creation. These people don't know Christ. So he's describing himself as, hey, I died and I was raised from the dead so you could be transformed and changed from the inside out. And this church had swayed. The pastor's not doing altar calls. People don't know Jesus is the only way. They become really more of a Christian social club, more of a religion. And so Jesus is opening up, telling them, hey, I am the beginning of the new creation of God. And then he says this. He says in verse 15, I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And I would read this for years and think, Jesus, would you spit a Christian out of your mouth? This doesn't make any sense. And then I'd look at the hot and cold. I'd think, well, hot's good, but why would you want us cold spiritually? And I, I didn't see it, and God had to open up my eyes. And we'll show you all that, but here's what I want to show you first. He said, I know all the things you do, period. He didn't compliment them. You're going to notice when you read the other letters. Every church, he said, hey, I'm not happy with this, but you're doing this good. He didn't tell them they were doing one thing good. And when you study this church out, this church was super wealthy. They were super duper duper wealthy. They were in a, the wealthiest city of the day there. Had all kind of money. And this church helped the poor. They gave to the poor, they fed the poor, they clothed the poor, and they helped the widows. And that city was so wealthy, they had to go to poor cities around them. This church did all kinds of really good, all kinds of really incredible things. And I, I looked at this, I know what the historians say, and I'd say, Jesus, why couldn't you just throw them a bone? Why couldn't you just say, hey, you're messed up here, but you're doing this good? And then I saw it, I didn't see it at first. And I want to re read a verse that I think brings it out. This is Isaiah 64, 6. And it reads like this. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. This is written to a non-Christian. It's not you. If you're a Christian, that's not you. But listen to what he says. All our righteousness, if we don't meet Jesus and accept him, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And here's why Jesus couldn't compliment them. 
They were doing Christ-like things. And religious churches do all kind of Christ-like things. They even hear the teachings of Jesus, but they know him here and not here. Jesus wants our hearts, not our heads. And so uh, he couldn't compliment them because Jesus himself said, the Bible says, that if you do good acts and you haven't met Jesus, he sees them like a filthy rag. In other words, our good acts can't bring us to heaven. And all of us have been around filthy rags. I was working on my Jeep recently in the garage and got my hands all greasy, so I had rags. And by the time you're finished with those rags, after you wash your hands, you don't want to touch them. They're like awful. And Jesus is saying, I can't even compliment your works because they're like a filthy rag. And he's going to try to bring them to the place to where they, they see, I can't compliment anything you do until you give me your hearts and you accept me as Savior. Let's, let's go back. Now look at verse 16. Just trying to help you see he's not writing to Christians. It says, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will, cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And just think about things that are gross and spitting them out of your mouth. I'll read the Amplified while you're thinking about that. He says, so because, because you are lukewarm, spiritually useless, that they haven't accepted him. He can't do anything with them. And neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth, rejecting you with disgust. He would never say that to a Christian. Never because you've been changed into his image. You're a child of God. So we know he's writing to a religious church that hasn't yet accepted him. These people haven't accepted him as Savior. I put something really gross in my mouth once. I won't tell you the whole story, but our kids were young, and I was going to do a men's retreat here at the church, and we were off-site at a camp, and we had babies still. So Gina had the desiccant tube, you know, the, the, for the ointment, rash for the bottoms she had it on the sink and it was turned to the back and i thought it was a tube of toothpaste so i threw it in my bag then i got up early that morning because we were sharing bathrooms i thought i'm going to get in and out of this shower and i grabbed my tooth toothpaste and i grabbed it seeing the back end again it was desitin i put on a toothbrush and if you've never put it in your mouth you should try it it's <laughs> it is the grossest taste i've ever tasted but here's the worst part it's like thicker than petroleum jelly like Vaseline you can't get it out and all you do is t t t t I was eating food just to get rid of it. it was the grossest thing ever have you ever put something gross in your mouth Jesus is saying if you don't accept me as savior I can't let you into heaven I have to, I have to reject you because we we have to be cleansed before he can let us in so that's just to help us see it. But I, I, I want to talk a little bit about the hot and cold. And, and, and this is interesting. Laodicea didn't have a fresh water source. Um, and here's what historians tell us. They tell us their water was lukewarm and it was murky. And they say it was so gross that if you took a sip of it, you would spit it out of your mouth. So here's what they had to do. Listen to this. Um, to the southeast was Colossae. It was famous for cold spring water people came from all over the region and they would come just to drink this water in Colossae and archaeologists tell us that Laodicea built an aqueduct that came all the way from Colossae and they, they, they brought their water to Laodicea to drink so they're very aware of what Jesus is saying and then to the northeast was Heropolis and it was famous for hot springs believed to have medicinal purposes and so all these wealthy people would go to the hot springs and sit People from all over the region would go to Heropolis to sit in the hot springs. So when Jesus said, you're neither hot nor cold, he's, 
he's comparing them with the water sources that are uh, to the right and to the left of them, just, just five miles or so away. And then he says, you're lukewarm. He's saying, you're like your water. Man, when someone tastes your water for the first time, it's like desitin. They just spit that baby out. And, and, and he's letting them know, here's what he's saying, cold is good and hot is good because what? Those water sources are both useful. So he's not talking about spiritual cold or hot. He's talking about useful things. And he's saying, you guys are like your water. You're useless. You're, you're, you're no good. And why is it? Well, because our righteousness is as filthy rags, right? So he's saying, you know me intellectually, but you haven't met me here. And he's going to go on and he's going to woo them into the kingdom. So take a look at this verse. This is pretty cool. Revelation 3.17, and it reads like this. You say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And they were very wealthy people, but now he's going to talk about their spiritual state. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And I read this for years and thought, Jesus, you cannot be saying this to Christians because you said when we accept you, we're the righteousness of God in Christ. You said we're holy, blameless, and without fault before you. And then it all made sense. I realized, oh, this, this is like churches today. I thought, oh, just 40 years and churches became religious churches and they were intellectually aware of Jesus, but they didn't know him. And he's saying, guys, your spiritual state needs fixed and there's only one way to fix it. So listen to what he says in verse 18. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. And he didn't pick these by chance. He picked gold, right, because they're super wealthy. And we'll talk about the gold in a minute. Do you know that uh, Laodicea was famous for black wool? They had, they had this black wool that they sold all over the world, and people, people all over the world bought this wool off of them, and it made them very wealthy. They had wool coats and wool sweaters. So Jesus is using things they're aware of. They had, they had a university uh, that, that specialized in eyes, and people came from all over the known world to go to this university. They created an eye salve that was supposed to bring healing to your eyes. So Jesus is just using things they're familiar with, and all three of these are all talking about the same thing. So notice what he said. He said, buy gold. How do you buy things that are spiritual? By faith. You have to believe. And he's just telling them, you need to believe, man. You need to place faith in me. And then I like what he says, gold that has been purified by fire then you'll be rich. He's talking about eternal life that he purified. Fire is always referring to persecution and suffering. And I like the way Jesus is painted in chapter 1. Guys, it's pretty cool. Uh, they talk about his feet. They talk about every part of him in chapter 1, the verses we didn't read. And they say that his feet are bronze, like bronze that went through fire. And fire is persecution. It's referring to the cross. And it's interesting that his feet are bronze because talking about what he walked through, what he went through, right? But it's interesting they use bronze and not gold because bronze is a mixed metal and Jesus was God in what? A human body. He was God in the flesh and that's where he bought our salvation. So he's just telling them, you need to believe. I have, a, I have something that's gold. It's eternal life that I'll give to you. And then he said this. He said, buy white garments from me so you'll, you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And all through the Bible, the Bible talks about the robe of righteousness. It talks about these white garments. Take a look at this verse. This is a scene in heaven. It's pretty cool. Revelation 7, 9. After this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. 
They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. These are people that accepted Christ from all over the world. This is a future scene in heaven. It's pretty cool. You're going to be one of these people. You, you prop, John might have saw you, man. You could have been one of the people he actually saw. It's an amazing, amazing thing. When you accept Christ, he gives you this white robe. It's a robe of righteousness. You know what's interesting? He wrote to another church in Revelation, and he told them, you stained your white robe. But he's telling this church, you don't even have one. How do you receive it? You have to accept Christ. You receive a white robe. It's pretty, pretty cool. And then uh, let, let's just look at 18 one more time. He talks about the ointment for the eyes. He says, so you'll be able to see. And I got to thinking about myself, and I bet you a bunch of you could stand up and tell the same story. I, I was more of a, I wasn't a religious person. I was a rebel. And so I just was living for the devil full blast. And some of you were like me. But I wasn't one of those religious people. And one day I didn't know Jesus, and if you talked to me about him, I would call you a Jesus freak and make fun of you. Then I met him. And then after I met him, God opened up my eyes and I saw him for who he was. Then I was in love with him. And all I wanted to do was talk about him. That's a huge change. And when you meet Jesus, that's what happens. So many of you know religious Christians because if you bring Jesus up, they shut you down, right? They say, let's keep that to Sunday. Let's keep that in church. None of this Jesus stuff here. Blankety blank blank, right? And I've had people call me Jesus freak. Because I'll just start talking to them. They go to Christian churches. Are you one of those Jesus freaks? I go, no, no, man, I just love Jesus. And I know right away they, they haven't met him. Once you meet him, you, you love when people talk about him. Now, it's true, there are some Christians that are weird, right? But that's different, right? They were weird before they met Jesus. Jesus made them less weird, and that's all cool. But we're not talking about that. They call you a Jesus freak when you just love him. And that's not freaky, man. If, if a Christian calls you a Jesus freak, they haven't met him yet. And he opens your eyes. It's absolutely amazing. Listen to verse 19. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. And I love the word indifference. Guys, this church was full of Christians. Their, their whole attitude was this is just another religion. And, and that's how religious Christian churches are. And they'll say things like this you know what, it doesn't matter if you follow Buddha and his teachings or Muhammad and his teachings, and I'm not trying to come against other religions. They'll say, there's, there's just one God and there's many ways to him, and that's when you know they haven't been to a good church, you know, because Jesus taught, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to heaven but through me. And these people were so indifferent, they looked at Christianity like any other religion, and they said, I just happened to pick Christianity, but there's all kind of ways to God. And, and Jesus is very upset with this, and he's telling the pastor, man, you need to come back to the center and preach the true gospel because there's only one way. And, you know, when you're indifferent, you're not persecuted. Everybody leaves you alone because you're, you're, you know, you're, not, you're not ruffling any feathers. But then when you begin to say, hey, according to the Bible, there's just one way to heaven, you start ruffling all kinds of feathers. And you guys know many of you have ruffled some feathers. You're really good feather rufflers, and, and I'm proud of you for that. We do it in a godly way, right? But then listen to this. He says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. And I got to thinking, Lord, a lot of these people aren't Christian. But then this verse came to me, for God so loved the world. And he loves us whether we know him or not. So guys, here's Jesus dealing with, with a Christian church that's wandered so far, it's full of non-Christians. 
And here's how he closes. Listen to verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we shall share a meal together. And here's my heart's prayer. This whole region is full of religious churches. There's a lot of great churches in this region too, but it's full of religious churches. America's full of religious churches. And here's what Jesus is saying. Man, I'm going to keep knocking on the door of your heart. That's the Holy Spirit convicting people that you need to open up and accept Christ. And Him having a meal with you, that's always symbolic of just having fellowship. And you can't have fellowship with Jesus until you open your heart and meet Him. Now, I don't think it's wrong for me to use this verse or another pastor to use it in speaking to a Christian because sometimes Christians wander off and our hearts become hard. And it's good to exhort Christians, hey, open your heart back up. That's all cool. But the main way this is being used is, hey, Man, you've not met the Lord yet. You're talking about him. You're hearing lessons that he taught. and you're, you're doing some of the lessons, and that's all great, but your righteous acts won't be able to save you. And he's saying, open up that heart and accept me and believe. Now, I know 99% of you in this room are Christians, and, and, and yet I taught this lesson because we all have friends that think they're Christian that haven't met Jesus yet. And I want us to have more of a heart for these dear people. I want us to pray for churches we know that aren't really preaching Jesus as Savior and the only way. I want you to begin to pray for your friends, and then I want to encourage you to look for opportunities to invite them because there's nothing more exciting. We had it happen in both our other services than someone not knowing Christ, having their eyes open and coming to meet Him. I, I love to be around new Christians because they have that zeal it's so easy for you and I to lose, and I love to see that zeal in their life. So here's how we're going to end. Can we close our eyes, bow our heads? Let's pray, guys. Let's just pray. Lord, I did my best to bring out this part of the Bible, and I thank you for these uh, Jesus-loving people that are in this room, Lord. And as we bow our heads, Lord, we all take a moment. We pray for any church, Father, in our area that is Christian in name, but they, they have lost the message. And they're full of people that haven't met Jesus. And yet, Father, they, 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 they know all about him. They know what he did. But, Jesus, we know you want our hearts, not our heads. And we just pray, Lord, for these churches. We cry out that you would, you would go to these churches and there would be a revival, Lord, like never before. And, Lord, we pray for people. Right now, some of us are lifting names up. We pray for people, Lord God, that are in these churches and we just pray for their salvation. Lord, let there be an incredible move of God in these churches. And Lord, let us as a church never lose our zeal for you, our Savior, and for your message. Let us never stop carrying it to the world we live in. And Lord, as we go on in this series, we're going to look at some other things you say you do not like, you hate about what churches allow in. And Lord, open up our hearts and let us clean up our life and our church in any way we need to as we go through these future lessons. And Lord, man, we just thank you that we're here today. Thank you for speaking life to our hearts. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Guys, maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Joe, he's knocking at my heart. I'm ready to let him in. Uh, listen very carefully. I'm not going to ask you to join our church or a religion. I'm not asking you that. I'm not asking you if you grew up in a Christian church. I'm not asking you if you're water baptized as a baby or an adult. You can do all that and never meet Jesus. Here's what I'm asking you. Can you remember a day in your life when you prayed 
and you, you said, Jesus, I believe you're the way, the truth, and the life. I believe you're the Savior. I make a decision today to follow you with all my heart. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here and you say, Pastor Joe, I can't remember that day, but I'm ready today. Would you pray with me right now? Everyone else in the room, can we help them? Just say this after me. Say, Lord God, I realize I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. And this day, I give my heart to Jesus. Jesus, I believe you're the way, truth, and life. I give you my heart today. I make a decision to follow you today. And thank you for my new white robe. <laughs> Amen. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Listen, listen. If you prayed that prayer, you may not have felt anything, but miracles happened. All your sins were washed away. God gave you that gold, eternal life. It's now in your heart. He gave you the white garment. Your eyes have been opened, and now you're going to understand the Bible when you read it. It's just amazing what's going to begin to happen in your life. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.